0: Hello there and welcome to KDL's Stump the Librarian podcast for your friendly neighborhood librarians put their research skills to the test to answer questions from you, the listener, or your dog, your cat, your pet goat, your great, 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 great aunt on your dad's side. Anyone who has a question, my name is Courtney. I'm one of the librarians you will be stumping. I'm joined by the lovely Emily. Hello. And Jill, our librarian behind the computer. Hello, all right, ladies. How excited are you for warmer weather? On a scale of one to ten, how excited? Well, it's spring. A nine point five. Okay, that's solid. Yeah, Jill. Twelve. A oh, twelve. Yeah. Nice.
1: I don't like to be too hot.
2: Is yeah, that an issue. That's my thing too. <laughs> I'm I like, like it a when good, it's warmer out.
0: A good like eight. I like yes. to be too hot. Oh, I don't. Oh, okay. Sweating is not fun. It's, it's not fun no too many showers which wastes water mm, not good which is a problem
1: also I, I also
0: like layering yes is, like a good card yeah exactly. but I don't like winter yeah no Nope. <laughs> <I'm saying. laughs> I like spring and fall like very solidly yeah. like I always thought that fall was my favorite season but I'm starting spring to is spring. great yeah I'm starting to think spring yeah because um, like fall, everything's like cooling down. So in the moment, it feels nice to right. like spring everything. Is Things are coming alive. Coming alive. Yeah. Because when you think about why leaves are changing colors, it gets sad, real thing. But anyways, <laughs> let's dive into the questions on that real happy note. Um, Jill, what's our first question of the pod?
2: Okay. This first one is a doozy. It's from Ramon at our Kellogg'sville branch. And the question is. Is there a limit to how much potential energy an object can have?
0: All right, great question. I would love to tell you the answer. But first, we have to talk about what potential energy is, um, which in the simplest way to describe it, potential energy is the energy an object has stored and ready to use right away, basically. Um, The best example I can use to explain potential energy is a pendulum, which I feel like is what most... Um, textbooks also use. So when you pull the pendulum back as far as you can, when it's at like its highest point, that is when it has the most potential energy because that energy is then stored to make it move back to its equilibrium. Um, But you can think of potential energy as the energy an object holds when it has the potential for something to happen. So again, like when you're swinging on a swing set, you have potential energy at the very highest peaks because you have the potential to swing down. Or if you're standing at the edge of a diving board, you have potential energy because you could jump um, and into the water. Now, if you're sitting on a flat surface and well you don't, you don't really have potential energy, at least not a substantial amount because nothing can really happen. So you're not like about to fall off. I mean, I guess if you're sitting on the edge of a cliff, maybe you have some potential energy. We have a lot of potential energy. Don't do that. Um, But if you're just like sitting on the ground in your bedroom, yeah, I guess you could fall over if you're laughing too hard. But odds are pretty good you're going to stay where you are. Um, And that's said to be your equilibrium position where you don't really have any potential energy. Um, And potential energy can only be created when a force is applied and objects have the most potential energy at their peak um, when the most movement can occur. So as the pendulum is swinging, the amount of potential energy is decreasing and the amount of kinetic energy, which is moving energy, um, is increasing. And again, I'm not a science teacher, so we are not going super in depth and I'm not giving you any equations Because trying to remember what all those letters stood for was starting to give me a headache. Um, I took physics in high school and college and it has been a very long time since those classes. So anyways, there are different types of potential energy depending on the force being applied. Because energy isn't just created out of thin air. Um, It all comes from somewhere. But that is another question for another pod. Um, And the types of potential energy are as follows. There's gravitational potential energy, which is when objects have the potential to change their position due to force or gravity. So this is like the jumping example or like a pendulum or when you're on a swing set. Like the gravity is what brings you down and the force is what pushes you back up. The force of your legs pumping. That's why if you stop pumping, eventually you stop moving because there's no force that's like pushing you back and forth. Um, There's also chemical potential energy. So this is like what's stored in a battery. Um, Elastic potential energy. So when something is stretched or compressed, I think of a rubber band. Um, And then magnetic potential energy, which is when certain metal objects in a magnetic field have the potential of changing their position due to the force of magnetism. So like a compass um, will change its direction because of the magnetic force. Um, So circling back to your question, Ramon, there is a limit to how much potential energy an object can have. So the answer is technically, well, the answer is technically yes. So if you take the example of a swing, the most potential energy that swing can have is determined by how high or far back it can swing. So it can't swing an infinite amount back. There is a limit to that. Um, and it can't, like, it can't go higher and higher infinitely. And also the law of conservation of energy says that energy cannot be created nor destroyed. So there is a fixed amount of energy in the world. I'm sure it's a super high number, and I'm sure we don't even know how much energy, but it can't be created or destroyed. So there has to be a limit somewhere, but like on a swing set or like a pendulum, um, or like if you're jumping, like (laughs) there's only so far I can jump. And only so long, I can jump, which gets tested in story time pretty regularly. Every story time, I tell myself, why do you put so many songs that involve jumping? Because
1: they're, the, they're the best. They're the, the best. It's a great cardio workout I've well.
0: started, I hope none of my story time friends are listening to this, um, but sometimes towards the end, it turns more into like a bounce. Like my feet <laughs> don't actually leave the ground sometimes because I'm like, I'm done, <laughs> I, Or will you like switch from feet to feet, like hop on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jumping is very like, because I do jumping and counting and it gets less enthusiastic as we go on. But (laughs) that is my answer to your question, Ramon. If you have any more energy questions, you can always submit them or ask your physics teacher. They will probably be able to answer this a lot better than we are. But we gave it a shot. So Jill, do you have a fact of the day of the pod?
2: I'm really happy that you answered that question because uh, you did a great job with that. And I understand potential energy for five minutes until I instantly forget when we <laughs> leave this room. But um, the potential,
0: I like to think of it as you have the potential to do something, oh. you know, That's like good. potential energy. So next like, time I sit yeah. on the edge
2: of the cliff, I'm going to say, I have a I lot have of, so much of you told me about this. <laughs> I have so
0: much potential right now. Anyways, what is our fact of the day? Okay. This
2: book has been sitting on my desk for so long and it has the, prettiest cover look at Ooh. how pretty that is it's got little things all over it and it's called the encyclopedia of unbelievable facts and the pictures are of all the facts that are in this book so i have two facts because they're short and they're just Yay. just too exciting two facts? What yes. a day. and then a made-up fact
0: Oh, do, oh we no. have to do we have to guess? No, 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 no. no oh, no. Nice. no guessing. Emily you've had
2: moment of panic. I know, <laughs> I know. I saw Emily's face. Okay, um, but th- these are. This is a cool book because it has like a question and then the answer. So you could check this book out from the library and then drive your parents crazy by saying, "Which animal has thousands of teeth?" And then stare at them like I'm going to do right now. Okay, which animal has Sharks. thousands of teeth?
1: Sharks. Sharks. Yeah, I know. sharks is a good
2: one. I mean, that is probably true, but that's not what the oh. answer is here. It is right, a slug. Whoa. I am so Wait till you hear the rest of this fact. As mm. a slug chomps thousands of tiny teeth on a circular band, nibble like a saw. I, Whoa. I,
0: was so, Are you just, I was just looked up a picture. This. I knew you were looking up a picture.
1: It's <laughs> crazy.
2: Everybody look up a picture yeah. of this.
1: It's the very first Google search says slug teeth close up. That's what you want.
0: Ooh, I don't want to see it. That, that okay. sounds like nightmares. Are you ready for this next one? Yes, next I night. guess.
2: Yeah, <laughs> this is this is in the vein of the podcast, not as creepy. So we, we've talked about this a lot. What do you call a group of hyenas?
0: A, well, a cackle. A, yeah, oh, yeah. It I was going to say laughter. It's a I cackle something
2: with laughing, or a clan. And this is my favorite uh, sub fact here. And by the way, a group of pug dogs is called a grumble. <laughs> Isn't that cute? So fact. here's the made up fact. We have two cockapoos, and we say a group of cockapoos is a cuddle. So when oh. you have them both on your lap, we say, Oh, you have a cuddle of cockapoos.
1: That is cute. Your That's are a good very made up fact. I like that.
2: It one. is good. It is good. Uh, feel free to call your cockapoos that if you have. Uh, no. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. Here's the next question. This is from Annalise, age 13, from our Wyoming branch. How does being mute work? Can they not talk if they even try? Can they play an instrument?
0: All right. So how does being mute work? Um, A medical definition of muteness is an inability to speak. So the first question we need to answer is why are people mute? And that answer is huge. There are many, many, many reasons why people can be mute. And actually, how does being mute work? is different for the different reasons as to why people are mute. Um, and the answer to can they not even talk if they try varies for different reasons of why people are mute. So it's a very complicated question, and which makes it a great one. Um, and we are going to skim the surface for a few reasons of why people are mute and explain pretty briefly why that might be. Again, our podcast is only 30 minutes, so we can only get so much information Definitely recommend looking into the resources to learn more in depth um, because all of this information that we're going to share is simplified. So if you have one of these diseases that we are going to briefly touch on here, please be aware that you are much, much more of an expert than we are. And if we say something wrong, please let us know. You can email us at stumpthelibrarian at kdl.org. Um, but do know that I know we won't say enough about any of these diseases. Um, But the first possible reason for muteness is apraxia, um, which is a big word that means your mouth and the muscles in your mouth don't work the way that they should for speech. Um, Sometimes children can be born with apraxia, and sometimes adults have this from either an injury or a disease like Parkinson's. And apraxia is a word that covers a lot of different causes, but it basically means at its root that your mouth and tongue don't work properly to make words Um, Because this type of muteness covers many different diseases or possible injuries, each person isn't going to be exactly the same. But generally, people can get treatment for this type of muteness. There are speech therapists who will help improve their speech. Um, And again, each person is different. But generally, this type of therapy takes time and patience and lots of support from your friends and family. And if they can play an instrument, depends on how severe their injury or illness is. Because to play an instrument, well, to play an instrument that would involve your mouth. So I'm thinking like a a clarinet or something like that. It should not affect your ability to play a string instrument, um, like a viola, violin, a cello, or a guitar. So mostly those like band instruments. Um, The second possible reason for muteness is aphasia. Um, And this is a big word that means your brain can't understand or use language because of damage to a specific area in your brain. So we all know there are different areas in your brain that are responsible for different things. Um, So this damage can be caused by a traumatic head injury or by a stroke. And doctors use this word in different ways. But sometimes it means complete loss of language or muteness. And sometimes it just means less language. Um, So Jill's grandpa actually dealt with aphasia after he had several strokes, he could talk, but he thought about his words more and talked much more slowly. Um, With aphasia, a person's intelligence is unaffected, just the ability to express. For example, Jill's grandpa would still correct uh, her grandma's fuzzy memory of things just a little more slowly. Um, As with apraxia, there's no one treatment for this, but speech therapy And other therapies can help someone to recover their speech. Because this one is specific to the language center of the brain, it is likely that the person could still play an instrument um, if their injury does not affect other parts of their brain. Um, There's two more. Are you ready for them? Mm -hmm. All right. The third possible reason that we're going to talk about, again, there are lots of reasons um, for muteness, is psychological causes for muteness, which doctors call selective muteness. Uh, It's almost always found in children and is closely tied in with anxiety. Um, It is called selective mutism not because the child who is dealing with anxiety chooses to be mute, but often because the child dealing with anxiety is sometimes mute and sometimes not. And yes, they can talk and probably play an instrument as well, and there's treatment for this type of muteness um, through counseling and lots of support from, again, your friends and family. Um, and I just want to say that muteness has, does not typically have anything to do, their intelligence is not affected. So just because someone can't use their words in the way that most people can doesn't mean that they don't have a lot to share. Um, and the fourth possible reason for muteness is deafness. Um, most of the time deaf people have functioning vocal cords, but it is challenging for someone who has always been deaf to use their vocal cords because they can't hear themselves to modulate the sound of their voice so some deaf people do not communicate with their vocal cords, and others may. Um, and as far as deaf people playing instruments, they can. In fact, this is a good another fact of the pod, um, Beethoven, who I think is like one of the top two composers that people think of when they think of music, yeah. he lost his hearing, and he was still able to compose music, so... Mm what a time um so to answer your question Annalise, sometimes people who are mute can talk sometimes they can't sometimes they can play instruments and sometimes they can't and people are mute for many many different reasons more than just the four we talked about today and although these are the most common reasons the best thing to do if you're interacting with someone who is mute or is having a hard time speaking forever for whatever the reason is, is to be patient and kind, listen, ask for clarification if you need to, and protect your hearing. Although some people are born deaf, there are many musicians who speak about uh, speak out about protecting yourself from hearing loss because they themselves have experienced that through music. So don't blast our podcast super loud into your AirPods.
1: No, and your AirPods will tell you well, yeah. if you're playing it too loud. They so. will. Listen up. That's a good. But thanks for
0: that question, Annalise. We hope we answered it to the fullest of our abilities. Jill, you have a book to share, though, related to that question.
2: I do. So I answered this question, and it was fascinating, and I felt like I just had more to say about um, uh, specifically the deafness part of it. Um, uh, the deaf community and deaf culture is is just really interesting, um, and it's, it's different than other... Um, First of all, people in the deaf community do not consider it a disability. It's a cultural and language difference, mm-hmm. and and that's um, that's something that is is different. And so this book is written by a deaf author, and is a historical fiction book. I read it when it first came out, um, so it has been a little while. But I wanted to share it with you. It's called Show Me a Sign, and it is about a community on Martha's Vineyard who um, had a high hereditary. Uh, of, of deaf of deafness, there was just a lot of people on Martha's Vineyard who were deaf, and even people who weren't deaf spoke in. They did not speak in ASL; it was a different sign language. I think they call it MSL or like or MVSL Martha's Vineyard sign language. Yeah, so it's are a lots little of different.
0: Different variations of sign there language, are. like there's a yeah. British one. So it's very interesting.
2: It is, and well, and that's well why they just say as a like, language barrier, yeah, right? Yeah,
1: even just as like our language changes, and we have yeah. like new words that are cool for a while and stuff. I mean, it's the same with mm-hmm. with
2: ASL or or any other, other um, language. sign language. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this, I, I thought that was fascinating that they, you know, have a whole community of people who use the sign language, whether they are hearing or whether they are deaf. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the premise of the story, but then there's this. Bad guy, this cunning ah. scientist guy who comes oh, to the nice. island and tries to figure out why everybody on this island is deaf. And actually, that's still a mystery. Like, they don't totally know why. Why? Ooh. What was going on that everybody um, was deaf? Um, but he kidnaps the main <gasps> character no. and takes her. And you will have to read for yourself to oh, see my what God. happens. No. Oh. Don't be too scared because there's a sequel that I just started. <laughs> it's called Set Me Free."
0: Man that, gotta read that book. yeah a, that's always, it was really good. I read it so fast whenever yeah. I first
2: read it whenever it first came out. highly recommend. Well, thanks for sharing, Jill.
0: We have one last question, don't we? We,
2: we do. do. It's Emily's turn. turn And the question is from Santiago from our Wyoming branch and the question is, who thought of making a teddy bear?
1: Great question. Um, so if you listen to our last episode, you will have already heard this spiel I'm about to say again, but I think it's important to say again that with every invention for the most part, um, that we tend to think of like, who was the one person who first invented whatever or the one person who thought of whatever. Often it's an idea that many people have had. Maybe not all people have been able to execute it or work through all the kinks of their idea or market their idea, but often there are similar ideas out there. And to that point, we tend to skew, um, at least in America, our history to favor white men who have invented things. And often in America, we also look at you know, American inventors and credit them before we really look at anybody else. Um, so I'm going to tell you two makers of the teddy bear. So we'll start first um, way back in the day, just to talk about like dolls in general The very first dolls were made out of like hard things like wood or incredibly delicate things like clay. Dolls or toys, um, you know, are often made to distract and please children and have been around since children, whether the item was intentionally made by adults for kids or by kids who are just, you know, creative and wanting to play. Um, so then moving forward to soft dolls or rag dolls, those came around about 2000 years ago and are thought to be kind of like the oldest continually made dolls in creation the term rag doll comes from the fact that these dolls were made from scraps of whatever was around they were stuffed with things like rags papyrus hay Um, they were woven with colorful string and trinkets and they remained popular um, but were of course um, there were different uh, iterations of dolls throughout the time even with a rag doll so like porcelain dolls were very popular in europe starting in the mid 1800s but also in the mid 1800s, 1830 to be exact, and also in Europe, the Industrial Revolution started, um, which made toys, the toys that were being made already, it made them easier to mm-hmm. um, pay, make them in larger quantities. So they were easily, more easily accessible um, and made in mass rather than handmade. So they didn't rely on elves in the woods? They to didn't, come though. Down, you you they would didn't have the Kerbergermeister. <laughs> I do think they probably him. make some pretty great. Toys, though. Elves I'm just in, in the w- woods. Fidgeting the
0: year with, or what was it? Santa Claus is coming to town, that claymation movie where the. Oh, kids my. Are yes, the burger Yeah. The burger and he bans. And everything's toys. all drab and awful. Until they, they get no toys. toys.
1: Until they get toys. And happy. Makes the world better. So, since we're talking about Europe, let's stay here a little bit longer because in Europe, in the late 1800s, through kind of like an intersection of like many different events, and things happening. A woman named Margaret Steiff invented a sewn elephant meant to be a pincushion. Um, this was specifically in 1879. She sewed this elephant on the very first sewing machine that her little Germantown had ever seen. This was a sewing machine that she was able to get with her own money. Though she had a disability, she learned to play an instrument, and she was able to um, make her own money and buy the sewing machine. So she went on to sew all kinds of animals. And again, these were not animals that she came up with. Um, these were from from patterns that she found published by others. So she realized that not only was she great at making these stuffed animals, but she could make them a little more accessible for her community. Um,
0: oh, that's nice of her. I know. She's
1: a lovely human. I love stuffed animals. Yeah. And, and from what I've read, hers were like... Very endearing and very, like, sturdy, just, like, great heirlooms to pass down. Um, so, yeah, she wanted to make them more accessible um, for people who weren't great at sewing, didn't have the time. I mean, she had a sewing machine, which nobody else in her community did at that point. So, soon, a stuffed animal um, from her, made by her became a popular gift because it was easier to play with than the porcelain dolls that were popular at the time um, that I mentioned earlier. And it was sturdy and... She kept them relatively inexpensive. She would do so well making these animals that she ended up uh, being able to expand a business internationally. And in 1902, with the help of her nephew, they began making and marketing lots of animal stuffed toys, but specifically um, bears, stuffed bears, so teddy bears. So that was in uh, 1902 in Europe. But then, um, that might not be the story that everybody's familiar with because there is an American story that... Again, also happened in 1902 in America, a Russian immigrant named Morris Mitchum, who was a candy shop owner, which is lovely, um, produced a stuffed bear uh, designed on a cartoon that was made of President President Teddy Roosevelt. Um, So Roosevelt was an avid hunter. And on one particular outdoor adventure, his partners actually captured a bear For him to shoot and again while he he did like hunting he did not think it was appropriate to like shoot a defenseless bear um and demanded it be released so there's this famous cartoon created of it um and mitchin saw this and decided he wanted to create a stuffed animal dedicated to the kind act of the president he also wanted to call it teddy's bear like, Teddy Roosevelt's oh, like bear. he owns the bear. Right. Um, so he sent a prototype to Teddy Roosevelt to get permission to call the stuffed animal Teddy's bear, and the president agreed, give him permission, and he began to mass-produce toys, um, so much so that he became uh, a popular toy maker, and he had his own company called the Ideal Toy Company. So there's two, oddly enough, happening at the same time, but there's two tales of how um, the teddy bear came to life, so... There you nice. go, Santiago. Love that teddy bear. I mean, yeah, I have a lot of stuffed animals. I don't know if I have a bear on my bed. though. Oh, maybe you need a bear. Yeah,
0: uh, I feel like I have a bear. Just Probably know, hasn't made it
1: Somewhere. on my bed. Where, where did, you, did you have a favorite stuffed animal when you were a kid? Or was I it a doll? Did. I, I was, a oh, doll. It
0: was a Barney doll. A Barney doll.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I was a Barney kid. I had a, I had a puppy named Puppy, a puppy. Puppy animal. named Puppy. Yeah. Real original. <laughs> Real creative Real as a child. Real original.
0: All right. Well, those were some really great questions. Those were. Um, Jill, what was your favorite thing that you learned in the pod?
2: I would say it is Margaret the Boss. <laughs> making, yeah. the, making the stuffed animals. That's right. Pincushions. That's great. Me that too. Yeah. Did I she call them teddy bear though? She didn't. The name <laughs> originated with
1: yeah and i think it originated ones. here in yeah. a lot of the articles it said teddy bear because that because they were american articles and that is what we call, we call them, them, yeah. We call them yeah. yeah um but no i don't believe that she had called them. i think they're just, just a like
2: stuffed bear yeah, yeah exactly do you
0: think they did stuffed bears to like get rid of the fear of bears i don't know if that's wise should be afraid of bears should have a healthy, yes, I would cuddle a healthy the the yeah i'm <laughs> kind winnie the pooh bear yeah. but i don't know about a bear bear Emily, what was your favorite thing?
1: Um, I don't know a ton about like, I don't remember a ton about potential energy. So I thought that whole question was interesting. Yeah, uh, yeah test, it's been a long time.
0: <laughs> definitely test my knowledge. Yeah. Not well. I paid attention in physics. Um, I really liked the information about um, being mute. I didn't really know. And honestly, when I saw that question, my mind went to the Hunger Games, which is a horrible reason for being mute. Dumb. Yes. But
1: yeah. yeah, so it was interesting to learn. Some real life information about that. All right, well, that is it for us today. Thank you all for your amazing questions and helping us to learn more about our world as well. For more information or to send us your own questions, head to kdl.org forward slash stump and tune in next episode where we will answer more of your questions. And as always, a special and huge thank you to the KDL Service Center where we are, re- where we are recording this podcast, the KDL uh, Marketing Department, and J.D. Dolinsky for our intro music.
0: Bye. Bye.